Hello, welcome to Studio Stories on Amherst Island Radio. I'm your host, Lynn Waiminga, and on this program I take you on a Canadian art tour, starting here on Amherst Island and going beyond. Every episode we visit a different studio and talk to artists and artisans about their work, their beginnings, and more. We'll update cjai.ca slash studio stories with images of or links to our guests' work and sites. So be sure to take a look. Hi, Megs. How are you? I'm fine. How are you, Lynn? Good, thanks. We are in Wellington in Prince Edward County at the uh, home and studio of Megs Candice, who is a... Tell us what you do. I try to keep it simple. I, I call myself either a maker or a marker. So I make and I mark, mostly on textiles. Right. What do you mark with? Well, lately I've been totally entranced with indigo, natural indigo, and working with rust, oxidized metals, and leaving that lovely true rust color. And then slowly I've been sort of moving in and out of working with uh, botanicals. So I'll be printing with some botanicals once it gets a little warmer this season, too. Nice. And how do you come into... Natural progression, I am, if I can say this in public, I am a textile slut. Um, I like anything textile. I worked, I had a career, a past career working in the yarn industry, designing patterns and uh, developing yarns for the hand knitting market. And then I moved out of that and started marking cloth, just creating sort of individual one of a kind pieces of, of textiles for myself, for my friends. And then slowly I started turning it into a small little business too here in Wellington. Right. This is a question I usually ask later on, but you only are at the Wellington Market? I am only at the Wellington Market. I call it my pop-up shop by the lake. So I just hang out there on Saturdays. I work all week developing my projects for the shop. And then I pull on up in my vehicle and set up and have a wonderful midday adventure in Wellington at the market there. Nice. And that runs what? uh, It starts uh, the middle of May, May 18th. It runs until October. I usually end the first weekend of September because my things are very summery. And it is from 8 o'clock in the morning till 1 o'clock in the afternoon. And it's at the United um, Church parking lot in Wellington. You can't miss it. If you come on Main Street, it's right there. You'll see the hubbub. There's great food and lots of people enjoying enjoying their summertime. That's great. And well, let's start at the beginning because it's talking about being a you know fiber person. So so you were working in the yarn industry. What 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 were you doing? I had a, a company. I, I guess my partner and I at the time started up one of the first boutique yarn companies back in the late 1980s, um, early 1990s. Yes, I'm that old. I was working as a a knitwear designer for Ready to Wear, and I kept on being back-ordered and discontinued having yarns available to me from other companies. And one thing led to another. I had a grant with a couple of other women, and we had had some um, interaction with the Woolmark Bureau way back when. And they connected me with a yarn company in South America that was looking for representation in, the, in North America. And one thing led to another, and all of a sudden I had a giant container of yarn shipped to me, and I was doing pattern support and promotion and putting out books. And so we started, we were sort of like one of the small little companies that started out in the 80s. Neat. Yeah. 
That sounds yeah. really neat. The yarn was uh, wool. Was uh, it? There, we had 100% wool, 100% cotton. It was all natural. Um, our color palette. We were really known for our color palette. I'm. I'm I may wear gray all the time, but I love color. And uh, probably one of the reasons I've gone into marking cloth now because I like adding the, the color is what thrills me about it and the natural colors. Right. And so at that time you weren't dyeing yarn. No, 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 no. no. We were selling thousands of pounds and thousands of kilos a season. So it came bald, ba- dyed, banded, right. ready to go out. So right. no, no, no time for dyeing. I've never, I've never really dyed yarn. It's something that never thrilled me so I'm now dyeing textiles woven textiles and that right. seems to thrill me yeah I've I have natural and and Kool-Aid dyeing but that's it yeah yeah that's it that's yeah, fun I find it crocs it, I find yarn uh, doesn't hang on to the colorant as well I think it's because you can't really agitate it that much to yeah. get to release all the transient five uh, colors in there so with woven textile washing machine, boom, it's done and it hopefully stays where it is when it's done. Right. So if you're, okay, I was, I was looking into dyeing mm-hmm. and uh, people were talking about dyeing in your washing machine. If you dye in your washing machine? No, I don't dye in my washing machine. Yeah. No. If I was using rip dye or something as some, you know, old thing I wanted to do, but no, all my, all the things I do are hand dyed yeah. in a vat. Or I'll do them, if I'm doing my botanical dyings, it's outside in a pot that's simmering. So, right. no. But I do a lot of laundry. Prepping, the, the, the two things that are the most important what I do is prepping the fiber. So the scouring. The scouring, the ironing. Oh, my God, I do so much ironing. And the, the making sure that it's ready to take on the color. Mm-hmm. And then the post, making sure that it's no longer going to release whatever colorant I've added to it. So those two things are the most crucial, the most mindless, but like I said, the most crucial. And in the middle, I get to do this little creative coloring. Right. That's where the fun happens and the magic and the mystery. Because if I'm working with natural things... There's, I, I, maybe somebody somewhere can say they are 100% certain of how exactly it's going to turn out. Me, not so much. To me, it's always like a little gift. At the very end, I'm opening it up, and it's like squeals of joy because it is this magical thing that just sort of happened, and you had very little control. So if you're a control freak, don't do what I'm doing. I, I teach once in a while, and there'll be someone going, well, I want this exactly here like this. And I'm like, let that thought go. It'll just right. just go with it, and you'll have something beautiful. If, you're, if you have expectations, you will be disappointed. Right. So the dying part is always a fun part because I have no expectations other than I know it'll be interesting. Right. What kind of pieces do you do? I work in two different ways. I will design and construct simple garments out of 100% natural fibers. And I also buy scarf blanks, uh, mostly of organic cotton and organic um, and, uh, and silks and wools that are ethically prepared. Produced. And color that way. And also another thing that I'm really pushing towards is re- doing fine thrifting. I go and I find really good quality, well-made, gently worn pieces that I can recolor because probably one thing a lot of people don't know is the garment industry is the second largest producer of earth destroying toxicity compared to the number one which is oil and gas Mm -hmm. so number two is the fashion industry 
So to be able to reuse, repurpose things that are already out there because we are such great consumers that our thrift stores are just filled with beautiful things. Yeah. And then make it into something new and wonderful using earth-friendly colorants and then having it have a new life with someone else. So that's sort of a purpose that I drive my company towards. Yeah, that's great. Can you talk about the different processes with rust and indigo? You're well, they're two very different things. Indigo is a true colorant. I use a natural indigo. I have a vat that I work with. And I do most of my dyeing using a folding and pleating method called shibori, which mm -hmm. is a Japanese method of binding cloth and then compressing it and then adding the indigo to it. And then once again, I open up that little gift and there'll be markings on it. So the indigo is that done that way. When it comes to the rust, it's found metal objects. And when I do wrapping and binding, but it doesn't make the sort of um, repetitive patterning that a shibori would do. Right. It creates sort of abstract, um, sometimes muddied, sometimes very, very distinct markings with the rust. And I also use additives to the fa fabrics to create different um, colorings. I'll use tea to soak the fabric in. And when the um, metal hits the tea, it changes the color. It turns more of a, a brownie black as opposed to a rusty orange. So you can modify things that way too. But ah. then you don't know exactly what you're going to get because each fiber takes the color differently, differently and each fiber takes the tea differently. So it's always, you, you never know what's going on, which is kind of fun. Sometimes yeah. you get a little disappointed, but most of the time it's like a great excitement. Right. That's fun. And okay, so at what point do you know, at what, like when it's dry, when you're completely done? Is um, that the point when you go, oh? The rusting is usually, you have to keep it moist because you need the moisture in the, in the cloth to create the oxidization. Right. So I'll have it, basically I make up a little sweat area in a plastic bag, a, a clear garbage bag. Uh -huh. And I'll go in and I'll check. I'll sort of unfold little areas and I'll check and I'll see. And then when I feel it's got the right markings, I'll, I'll then take it out. Sometimes there'll be a piece that I'll remark and remark mm -hmm. again, almost like a painter going back to a, a canvas and, and remarking it. But the one thing with rust that I have to say is it is corrosive. So you can destroy the textile if you right. leave it too long. And especially fragile textiles. I've had some vintage silk that I sort of marked up and okay, some little cracks and marks happen to it. But then I do some creative mending to it, and it adds to the story of the fabric. So right. you, you don't ruin anything. But with uh, rust, you have to be concerned about eating through the fabric. Right, and not so with India. Yeah. And another strange thing, and I learned this the hard way years ago when I started rusting, I had a piece, and I cut it, and I was going to make a bag out of it, and I kept on breaking my sewing machine needles because there's metal in the fabric. Of course, and whenever there was a really heavily marked area, that meant there was a lot of metal in there, and it broke my needles. So I had to go out and get denim needles to sew oh, yeah. with, so it would go right through it. So it, there is, it's imparted with bits of metal in there. I don't know if it sets off metal detectors in the airport. I haven't checked that out yet. <laughs> maybe not that but, much. Maybe <laughs> not that much, but it does. It's, it's interesting. That was just a, sort of an aside. That's funny.
If you're just joining us, this is Studio Stories on Amherst Island Radio. I'm your host, Lynn Weminga, and this episode we're speaking with maker and marker Mags Candace of Indigo and Rust in her home studio in Wellington in Prince Edward County, Ontario. What inspires your work? I don't think there's any one thing that inspires. I love silhouettes. I mean, that's the one thing that I can control over. Just working with nature, I think my work now with botanicals mm-hmm. is getting a little bit more interesting. So I'm more, I look at leaves different ways now. And I walk past uh, florist shops in different ways. So. And can you talk a little bit about the process of eco-dyeing? Or, just because I have no yeah. idea what goes on. I've never yeah. seen it. When you leave a mark on a piece of cloth, there are things that you can add to your cloth that will help bring out the marks. Mm-hmm. Mordants is one of the words that we use. And when you are doing botanicals, mordants are very, very important. You have to prepare your cloth in some way that it helps capture the color of the plant. So once again, you're washing, scouring, all that non-sexy stuff, mordanting. And then it's the wrapping and binding of plant life in your textiles. And then you have to do a very tight bundle so you have a compression going on, and that'll leave the marks. And then you need steam and heat. Okay. So um, the traditional way is over a simmering pot outside. Right. Um, some people, and I've not done this, I'll try it later on once we start having some leaves, um, bundle and put it in their microwave. So Yeah. You might not want to use your food microwave for yeah. it. I know a lot of textile people will have a, a secondary microwave that they use for their coloring. But And then, once again, it's time. You steam it for an hour, two hours, three hours, and then you let it sit for a day, let it cool. And then you have that, once again, sort of that unbinding, the gift you aren't quite sure, and right. then you're, you're pleasantly surprised with something. So it's a lot of time, mm-hmm. a lot of um, luck, and a lot of practice too. So yeah. I'm new to it, so I don't know all the ins and outs, but I think by the end of this season, I'll have a little bit more knowledge. Nice. That's, what I love about what I do, there's always something new to learn. Yeah. When, when it comes to indigo, when it comes to shibori, when it comes to marking cloth with rust, there's always something new to learn. Right. I don't even know if I already asked you this. How did you get into the marking? I, I just, it, was, it just sort of happened. Um, I started reading books about, ooh, I guess eight years ago, I took a weekend workshop with uh, India Flint, who is, was one of the first people to do botanical printing. Right. Uh, well, um, sort of brought it up to the, the consciousness of, of textile people. And that was inspiring, but I didn't do much with it afterwards. I'd get together with friends once in a while during the summer, and we would just sort of, you know, have a potluck and try to mark cloth and see what happened. And then I took a, um, an indigo workshop, just a, an afternoon workshop in Toronto one time. And that got me really excited. So I think it was just learning something and learning something. And, and eventually I started gathering all my, my knowledge into making things. Mm-hmm. And then it's really fortunate to have the Wellington market because it is such a beautiful market. They call it a farmer's market, but there's incredible craftspeople there, incredible designers, incredible food, and people do come from far and wide to shop and see beautiful, individually created, one-of-a-kind pieces, whether That's they be great. fabric or pottery or 
vintage. So there's lots of things to I'm buy. I'm gonna there. have to come and check it out. This you summer. will have to come out yes. and check it out. It is this. Bring your wallet. No. <laughs> yeah. We spent a lot of time going, and there's a bank machine at the next light. Yeah. So just, there you go. I'll hang on to this for you until you get back. Yeah. In your work, say, I don't know if, if there is a specific tool that, is there anything in, like, in your Shibori work that there's a tool that you're like, I couldn't live without this? I couldn't live without my clamps. I got clamps. I've got clamps from... Everywhere, different sizes, different shapes, different materials. I couldn't live without my clamps. When it comes to shibori, I couldn't live without my clamps. Or my, um, and this is going to be hard to describe without visuals, I use pieces of thin wood that are in shapes. And when I fold and bind my, my cloth, I then use these shapes clamped onto the fabric. And where the pressure is and where the shape is, it resists the color. Mm Mm-hmm. Therefore, you can get stripes or circles or triangles. So without those, yeah, I'd be kind of kind of like that. I need lots of things to do what I'm doing. Yeah. Back in the day, it was like all I needed was a double hooked crochet hook. Like, right. That would save my life. Yeah. So now I now need a lot. Of, I need a lot of things, and I need my vat. I need a lot of things. It's yeah. not portable. Yeah, not portable. Not at like all. knitting. Mm-mm. No. Not like knitting. Not like knitting at all. No. Uh, what's the most challenging part of marking and dyeing? It's pushing yourself to try to come up with different ways of of old techniques. I I try to modernize what I do. I try not. I know there are people who are purists. Who I I, I have some people in my life that are, I respect wholeheartedly because they are purists to, to traditional craft. I sort of like taking a traditional craft and putting it on its ear. Mm-hmm. So I, I like challenging myself that way. Yeah. But with the work itself, it's it's just getting up and having the guts to do it because it's just you do it all and you don't know and and then you throw it into the, into the vat or you throw it into the pot and you go, okay. Now it's up to you. Yep. <laughs> it's in the hands of, I call it the bunny. The bunny will just take care of it from here. The bunny. Yes. <laughs> Okay, and the other end of that question is, what's the most fun? What's the what's the best oh, part of it? When something comes out of the process and it's beyond my expectations, like when something is so perfectly marked that you just don't even want to give it, you don't even want to sell it. You don't. You just want to keep it for yourself. Right. And when I get to the market and I put it up. For sale and it's hanging there and it's a beautiful sunny day and some person comes in and says oh my god and then I know it's going to a good home yeah, yeah, yeah. and then they the get next, it yeah they get it they get it I mean um, I, th- I was saying earlier to you that some people don't understand the rust mm-hmm. as much as the indigo people understand indigo the rust they're a little confused by it and every once in a while someone will come into my shop and they understand the rust Right. So I don't even have to tell them. And they're like, oh, my God. And they'll take a few pieces, and then the, that's it. They're, they're off to a good home. So right. I find that I really enjoy connecting with women who understand textiles. And right. I, there's a lot of them that show up at the Wellington Market. That's great. Yeah. That's fantastic. What a great venue for you. Yeah. What do you wish you'd known when you started with this marking I don't know. I, you know what? I don't have an answer to that because I find that this whole thing is a journey. Yeah. 
it's not that I, I learn, you learn more from one mistake than a hundred successes. Yeah. And I believe that, I believe that with everything in life. So I don't think, maybe uh, I wish I had started this sooner. You know, I wish I'd, I'd come into this understanding sooner, but you learn what you need to learn when you need to learn it. So I don't know. I don't think there's anything other than I just look forward to the next vat and the next project and the next time I set up to do my rusting on an old uh, tin ceiling tile and I see how it marks on a piece of vintage silk that I picked up. So it's, um, no, no, I think it's just a giant learning curve and it's a great little adventure journey that I'm on. Yeah, that's fantastic. I was just about to ask, where do you work? But you work outside, inside, kitchen, yep. studio. I, I have a lovely white cabinetry kitchen, and I just tarp it all up, and, <laughs> and I set up my indigo vat, and I, I'm not a naturally tidy person, but I'm really, really tidy when it comes to dying. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I went from a really large, I had a large house and a large studio, I had three studio spaces, and now I live in a really small space, and I love my small little space, and I make it work with all that I make yeah. in my small little space. So it doesn't matter, you don't need the big, fancy, perfectly equipped studio to create what you want to do. You just have to have the passion to do it, and, yeah. and a few things that you need. Yeah, that's great. Uh, what do you do when you're not dying? Reading about dying, <laughs> looking at yeah. p- pinning things on Pinterest right. about dying, <laughs> like oh my god, it's either food or dying, food or dying. Right. Like make sure they don't go into the same category. So yeah, <laughs> no, um, and traveling and enjoying and and sewing and uh, stitching and I'm into a lot of Japanese crafts. I'm into boro stitching and shishiko and um, I spent some time in Japan last year that just opened my eyes to a lot of other things in Japan that I adore besides indigo and shibori. And I saw you're working on some stitching now. Yeah. Well, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So what are the different kinds of printing that you do? Like you've got some potato printing and some Yeah, I, I do I do surface design in different ways. I, mm-hmm. I love potato printing. Um, I'll make my own stamps too, but I always have more fun with a potato print. I do a lot of embellishing afterwards, stitching, beading, um I, I just like marking cloth in any sort of way. Yeah. And a lot of what I do is so time um, consuming that it's not marketable. So yeah. I do it for my own joy. I yeah. do it for friends. Um, and to be able to do the indigo and the rust marking and have that available for a small little market, is, is it's a nice way of getting stuff out there. Yeah. I think I get on my soapbox on this one. I think when women undervalue their work and they sell their work for far too little and which undermines persons who need to make a living. Yeah. So um, I refuse to sell anything that I can't sell for an hourly wage that is a livable wage. Right. And people are not going to want to buy a potato printed hand stitched hat for $380. <laughs> Out I don't of, know why not. Out of out of cotton that cotton. I reclaimed from a T-shirt, like no one's going to do that. So yeah. I do that for me. I do that for my friends. Yeah, yeah. Are, do you have any sort of website? Do you, yeah, uh, MagsCandice.com. MagsCandice.com. Mm-hmm. And the 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 business name is. Um, I call myself Indigo and Rust. Indigo and Rust. Yeah. But it's Mags Candice for Indigo and Rust. Okay. So that way, it, it's always Mags Candice. That way, I can morph into something else and not have to worry about changing yeah. my name. Yes. Um, and I'm also I have a I, I'm on 
I'm on um, Instagram, and there, I also have a Facebook page for Indigo and Rust. So Excellent. people can follow me. I actually have people show up at the market saying, I saw you on Instagram, and I want this. And I went, who knew? Yeah. Who knew it works? So That's yeah. great. Yep, I'm out there on, on the internets. Yes, I am. <laughs> On the webs. On the webs. <laughs> well, I really appreciate your time today, Meg. Thank you so much. Thanks for coming over. And uh, I will get some pictures from you that we can put up on the program page, and we'll post that so people can see your work. And hopefully come and see you at the Wellington Market. Oh, you know what? You don't have to come and see me. Just come to the Wellington Market. It's yeah. such a wonderful experience, yeah. and Wellington is just so vibrant and lovely in the summer months. So, yeah. But if you do come and see, come and visit and just... Come and see what I'm doing. I'm yeah. always doing something. Excellent. All right. Thanks, Megs. Thanks for joining us for Episode 17 of Studio Stories with maker and marker Mags Candice in Wellington, Ontario. Be sure to visit Mags at the Wellington Market Saturday mornings in summer and view some photos of Mags' work and links at cjai.ca slash studio stories. We've got a few more interviews coming up for you, so check back in a week for the latest episode. Thanks for listening.